Welcome to this podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. It publishes original research and topical reviews on basic and clinical aspects of gastrointestinal sensation and motility, as well as brain-gut interaction. So welcome everyone to this month's podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. My name is Adam Farmer and I'm a gastroenterologist at the Wingate Institute of Gastroenterology at Barts and the London School of Medicine in London in the UK. Uh, this month, it's my great pleasure to welcome Professor, Professor Siegfried Elsenbruch from the University of Essen in Germany. So Siegfried, many thanks for joining us on the podcast this month and congratulations to, to you and your co-authors on your paper entitled Learning by Experience, Visceral Pain-Related Neural and Behavioural Responses in a Classical Conditioning Paradigm. So Siegfried, how is pain dynamically modulated? Yes, thank you for giving me the opportunity uh, to speak. Um, we're fascinated by the question how pain is, in fact, dynamically modulated. What we know is that what I call the psychological context is really important. So the conditions under which a patient or a person experiences pain, that could be the emotional state of the person. So pain is different when you're very stressed or anxious. Um, also the attention one gives to the pain at that moment shapes the experience. Um, the expectations one has, whether the pain is going to be really bad or not so bad, all these factors shape how the pain is experienced. And our, one of our research questions is to find out how this happens and which brain regions are responsible for this dynamic modulation. Because in the end, this knowledge can help us use this knowledge to help treat patients with chronic pain or recurrent pain in uh, more personalized uh, ways. So I think most people will be familiar uh, with the concept of the placebo response, but could you explain a little about the nocebo uh, effect? Yes. So placebo is improvement in pain due to positive expectations about a treatment, for example. So that's a a positive effect. It's pain relief. And again, it's a, a great example of this dynamic modification or modulation of pain in a positive manner. The nocebo is, is the opposite. It's a worsening of pain or of a symptom or perhaps even um, a new symptom of pain due to negative expectations. Probably it has to do with anxiety. So patients expect something bad. They worry about the pain very much. And this contributes then to harmless symptoms being perceived as more painful. So that is the nocebo effect. It's not as well understood, um, both at the mechanistic level, but also with respect to clinical implications when compared to the placebo effect. So what were the objectives of your study? We were interested in, in the nocebo mechanisms, um, both behaviorally and at the level of the brain. And we wanted to find out how classical conditioning, so a learning experience, shapes responses to visceral pain. So the classical conditioning idea originated back to Pavlov, where you associate um, a neutral stimulus 
with an unconditioned stimulus, in our case, pain. So we teach our participants when to expect intense pain and less intense pain in a classical conditioning um, procedure. And the idea of this is to, to change the anticipation of pain through this learning process and to perhaps elicit nocebo responses due to this prior training um, where these warning signals could carry the meaning of a, of a threat signal and then elicit a nocebo response, so a worsening of pain or some changes in the brain that have to do with altered pain processing. So what methods did you use in your study to investigate these objectives? So as a visceral pain stimulus, we used the rectal distension paradigm in healthy subjects. And we chose for this training phase, the classical conditioning phase, two intensities of distensions. One highly intense intensity, so painful stimuli. And as a control or comparison, we chose just noticeable distensions that were not painful. So we had a high intensity and a low intensity US unconditioned stimulus. And we paired those with predictive cues, visual cues that we presented to the participants so that they could learn through this associative learning which cues predict high pain and which cues predict low pain. And this conditioning works quite well. Participants understand very quickly that there's a warning cue and then there's another cue that predicts a less intense or so more harmless um, distension stimulus. That was the first phase. And our real interesting phase was what we called the test phase. In that test phase, we showed the participants the same cues, so the previously conditioned high and low intensity cues, but they were then all followed by a low intensity distension. So the harmless distension intensity, so that we could test if, depending on the predictive cue, um, the response to these low distensions would be altered. And we hope to be able to elicit a nocebo effect um, in response to the previously conditioned high intensity cues. So what were your key results from your study? We had two sets, uh, actually two experiments. Um, they had in common that they um, we tested for the behavioral nocebo response across all participants. And then one subgroup underwent brain imaging with functional magnetic resonance imaging so we could look at the neural mechanisms. So I want to start with the behavioral findings. So those are primarily the pain ratings. Uh, and I will focus on the, on the test phase. And again, the hypothesis was that the ratings for those low intensity distensions would differ depending on how they were signaled. And we hope to see higher pain ratings, a nocebo hyperalgesic response for distensions that were signaled by high intensity cues. We did not find this. Um, so we did not confirm one of our hypotheses, which was that we would elicit a nocebo effect at the behavioral level on pain ratings based on prior classical conditioning. The second question concerned the neural mechanisms. And so we compared in the subset of participants, 
the neural processing of these low intensity distensions depending on what they were signaled by the previously conditioned high or low intensity cues. And there we found significant differences um, in several brain regions. And these were regions that have to do both with the sensory but also with effective and cognitive pain modulation aspects. And we believe that this may reflect um, appraisal of the stimuli, but also something that perhaps reflects hypervigilance. So that altered focus, more attention to those distensions that were signaled by a cue that previously predicted high intensities or really intense pain. So apparently the brain does process um, distensions or visceral stimuli differently depending on how they are cued and gives us um, gives support to the notion that the anticipation of visceral stimuli really shapes how the actual stimulus is processed in the brain. So what were the limitations of your study? Well, the, the groups, we looked at healthy individuals, so we cannot really conclude anything about patients, even though we're trying to understand mechanisms relevant to the pathophysiology of chronic visceral pain. We have to, of course, be careful because our healthy participants do not have the experience of chronic visceral pain or other complaints. Um, the other thing is we looked at uh, mixed groups of men and women Although there is some evidence to suggest sex or gender differences in the processing of visceral pain, so we can't really know if this perhaps contributed to our results, and we have to follow this up with more specific studies on sex differences. And where do you think the knowledge gaps uh, lie in the field at the moment, and how, how do we go about uh, resolving these? Well, we have to... We have to try to study patients in these kinds of learning uh, conditioning paradigms um, and to have uh, to understand nocebo effects in those individuals that have negative learning experiences, have negative expectations, especially towards pain, but also towards um, treatment. The, many patients have previous treatment failure, and we have to understand how that shapes their response to the next treatment attempt, but also to um, recurrent uh, painful episodes that they experience, this waxing and waning of symptoms and the change in attention toward these symptoms, the hypervigilance, how that may contribute to maintaining uh, chronic symptoms or perhaps preventing treatment success. So I think these, these basic studies using a combination of behavioral and brain imaging techniques can show us uh, ways to understand brain processes and how the brain functions as part of the brain-gut axis in patients with chronic visceral disturbances. So Sigrid, with that I'd like to thank you and your co-authors uh, for an excellent paper and uh, also for assisting in this month's podcast and also our listeners for, for tuning in. And I look forward to welcoming uh, you all on another instalment of the podcast uh, next month. Further information about this paper can be found on the journal website. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast and we look forward to welcoming you to next month's edition.